Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. My God, episode 63 already. Wow. Anyway, welcome. I am Ken Levine. Thanks so much for being here. I've got a really good guest on hand today. Ben Mankiewicz is with me. And of course, you know Ben Mankiewicz as the host of Turner Classic Movies. You see him like every two hours giving all of those great uh, bits of trivia, those little nuggets about those vintage Hollywood films. Well, we're going to talk about TCM. We're going to talk about the process. We're going to talk about Ben, his career, and even a little baseball. It's really a good interview. And it starts right now. Hollywood and Levine. Okay, well, Ben, first of all, you come from certainly a famous family. So let's get that out of the way. Uh, where do you fall between Joseph and Herman and Frank and all of the other Mankiewiczes? Uh, I fall directly from Frank. Uh, okay. He's my dad. Um, so Herman... His father's my grandfather. Joe and Herman were brothers, so Joe is my father's uncle, my great uncle. Okay. So um, having that name, I mean, in a way, it's kind of charm, but also sort of living in the shadow of all of those people, uh, you know, is it, it kind of tough? Does it sort of seem a burden at times? Yeah. Um, yeah uh, to uh, uh, to paraphrase uh, Stan Lee, you know, with... With great privilege comes great expectation. So right. there, there, there's, there's definitely privilege that, that comes with it, and no question, it's, it's helped me. Um, uh, but you don't want to be the only Mankiewicz who isn't funny and smart and the smartest <laughs> guy in the room. And the, you know, so my, my dad was this. I, I would maintain one of the twelve smartest people who ever lived. And, and, and there were a, there were a lot of smart people who would say who knew him, be like, yeah, that sounds about right. He's probably eighth. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, so growing up. I grew up in D.C. with him. He was Robert Kennedy's press secretary and uh, George McGovern's uh, campaign manager, ran the campaign with Gary Hart, president of National Public Radio, was Latin American director of the Peace Corps before that. Underachiever. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, beat the Nazis. Right. Um, uh, so he um, – so he uh, – when we go out to get the groceries every Saturday, which I always did with him, uh, every – during the 1970s, he gets stopped – Three, four times a day, like you were with George Clooney. Right. Except people would say, you know, thank you. The Kennedy campaign meant everything to me. The McGovern campaign meant everything to me. And you, you're an inspiration of why I'm in public service. And, and as a kid, I'd look at this and, and I'd think that it was crazy that these people all knew who my dad was and he didn't know their name. He was so nice. You know, <laughs> afterwards I'd say, you don't know who that person is, do you? And I'd think that was just hilarious. Um, so uh, the that there was this sort of Hollywood connection. I was certainly aware of it, but it really didn't mean anything. It was totally uh, – it was dominated by, to me, the the sort of success and notoriety that my father had in Washington. And he had it not for being – a guy who went to all the parties. He had it for being the person you called when you needed an answer. So when you were growing up, what did you want to be? Uh, 
I wanted to be a baseball broadcaster, something you can perhaps cool. relate to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good <laughs> um, goal. I mean, yeah. it's, and it's it's mostly all I wanted to do. I mean, I suspect, like you, I went to Memorial Stadium in Baltimore, which was the closest uh, park growing up in D.C., no team. Uh, you know, and I had a small, as soon as I got to be 13, 14, 15, I'd get one of those small tape recorders. My brother was a reporter then. He's now a correspondent at Dateline NBC, but he was then a radio reporter, and, and he bought me a little the smallest tape recorder that you could, that you guys would use to record, the reporters would use to record phone conversations uh-huh. mostly. And, uh, and I sat there in the bleachers and, you know, you know, on the two, one offering to Singleton line drive to left, <laughs> that's going to get down for a hit. You know, did you ever send out tapes to the minor leagues? Did no, you I, ever do it professionally? No, I, I sort of had a, as I, shortly after I came to understand the significance of my family's role in Hollywood and, you know, look, it's not like they're the mayors or the Spielbergs, right? But there's a tremendous amount of respect for the work that Joe and, and Herman did out here and and their offspring, Tom Mankiewicz, uh, my, my cousin, my father's cousin, you know, wrote, uh, I think, three Bond movies, maybe four and the first two Superman movies um, uh, and had a very successful career as a screenwriter out here and... Uh, my cousin John, who's the godfather of my daughter, is a, he's writing on Bosch now, and he wrote on House of Cards for for years. Um, so uh, when I sort of – I don't know, similar to when I got out – came out here to visit and, and somebody at a party bowed their head to me, clicked their heels together, bowed their head when I was introduced and said Hollywood royalty. And I, I literally thought they were kidding or – that uh, you know, Larry Bogart was coming in behind me. Like I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand what was happening. Um, I sort of decided that sports was not serious, and I, I think that maybe I thought it wouldn't impress my dad. All stuff. being the voice of the Toledo Mud Hens, right? Uh, Somehow, yeah. Like the legacy know, would sort of dip but, a little bit. But I was mistaken. I mean, he would have. He would have, and he was, you know, a really great, encouraging father. He, I, I'm a baseball fan because he's a baseball fan. We went to spring training together every year. He would have thought that was, that was great. And so during this brief period of thinking that wasn't a serious enough life, I decided to be a hard news reporter, and and went and and so I did send tapes out, but it was for that. It was to, and I got on the air in Charleston, South Carolina, and sort of that started a, a different path. But it was a. There was no logical, thoughtful reasoning for not following through. So how did you go from hard news to TCM? Uh, hard news was, was horrible. I mean, it was, it was not because it was... Because, <laughs> and, and it was good back then. Right, it was better. But <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was already... That was the 93 to 98, I was in Charleston, and it was already... It was just bad. It was bad. It was bad. The people... I mean, I worked with some great people and I... Friends of mine. Overall, though, there were... It's not. It's just these aren't people who should be spending their lives sharing information with the community for the good of the community. There was a story during the Olympics you probably saw at the WLS, the ABC station in Chicago, and they put up that over-the-shoulder graphic for the anchor, and it's you know had the Olympic the the circles, and and it said you know supposed to say uh, Pyeongchang 2018, and it said PF Changs yeah 2018. And there was a long explanation. Of, well, the sports alternate fact, right? They were like <laughs> they were like the sports guy was doing a satirical piece the night before. The graphic got messed up. I know what happened is that there are too many people in that newsroom who don't know better, who just aren't, who shouldn't be doing this job. And right. so, you know, in a in a thoughtful newsroom. There's 48 people who'd be like, that says P.F. Chang's. That's a restaurant. Get it off. <laughs> Fix it. Right. But nobody, nobody knows. Nobody cares. They're not, 
that's not what you need when you go to a newsroom to be a producer or a writer or a reporter. Um, so, and I had so many stories that I knocked on mother's doors and asked them how they're, I say this all the time, but, you know, I asked, you know, I want to get your, how do you feel? Your, your 13 year old teenager was caught in crossfire and he's dead. And, you know, and I got good at it. They'd come out and they'd talk about their son. And I was just, I always felt gross. Like, Uh what am I doing here? What am I, why am I involved in this? Let me tell you how they are. Their lives are ruined. That's, that's how they are. I know that. Um, so I went to Miami, I got a job in Miami for this Barry Diller station and it was everything that local news isn't. He was trying to reinvent local news, like no fires, no murders, tons of politics. We were there for the 2000 uh, election, which was great. And the butterfly ballot and the, and the recount and the Elian Gonzalez story, the, the, the little kid on the boat who came over from Cuba, came on the raft and his family died and, but his father wanted him back in Cuba and, and Diller who ran the station, Barry Diller, his, his, his mantra was, Take a stand. Like, you you have an opinion for every story and then back up why you have an opinion. And if you have no opinion, back up why this thing is not worth having an opinion about. (laughs) So it was great. And I became the anchor there and we got – nobody watched, but we were good. And it was fun and it sort of – that led me to believe I can't ever go back to local news. That said, before TCM hired me, I mean I was 10 days, two weeks, three weeks from – coming on as a freelancer at a station in LA if they'd have had me because mm. I had no money. So how'd you get the TCM job? Luck, you know, luck is the branch Ricky, luck is the residue of design. So I guess there was some design to it, but mostly luck. I had auditioned for every show on television, like every game show, every talk show to host, <laughs> you know, be a, I mean, I love game shows and I, you know, I thought, um, and I had the TCM and I had to, TCM had this great idea that they had only one host, Robert Osborne, and they were going to hire a second host on the weekends. And that host was going to ha- have a conversation with either a filmmaker or the offspring of a filmmaker or the, the DP or the writer. Um, and that was going to be what the weekend programming was sort of, you know, we'd, you know, I'd talk to Theo Epstein about Casablanca and his, that his grandfather, yeah. great uncle wrote it, right. You know, which by the way, would be great. Um, and so, uh, um, and so we had to compare the Seven Samurai and the Magnificent Seven, and and then they kept moving people around in the audition, but they always had them with me. Like, okay, they were like, "You be the expert now. Now you be the host. Now we bring this." Person. And I was like, oh, "I'm doing well because that's right. I, yeah, they, they keep using you. They're using yeah, me." And right. um, by the time I got called back for the second audition, and that's what I'm good at talking to people. So by the time I got back for the second audition, uh, they had been like, "This is a terrible idea. We'll never be able to. It's too hard to book." It's just, you know, it's a, just do what Robert does, do it on the weekend. So that's the luck part because if I just come in and read, I don't think I'd distinguish myself in any way. So this brief idea that they had let me shine an audition in a way that, as I said, I auditioned for 178 shows and never got anything. So I had this moment where it let me sort of, it catered to my strengths and then they abandoned it. But by then there were only three guys left. Good lesson in that, obviously, that, you know, you just got to keep trying, you know, 178 auditions. All you need is one yeah. to, uh, to hit. Yeah, I mean, if you're one for 179, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're never getting out of a ball, right? That's right. But if you're one for 179 in this business, hey, hey look <laughs> at you, superstar. Let's talk a little bit about Turner Classic Movies. Now, the thing that is so great about it, as opposed to the way we used to watch movies forever on television, no commercials. 
What kind of business model do they have that allows them to do that and prosper? Well, I'm not uh, uh, the best person to talk to about this, but I'll tell you what I know just because I, I don't – I still don't after – how long have I been in television now really since – was a sports producer in Washington. It was my first job. Uh, so like, you know. 1946. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> right. So since like 91, I don't really know how TV works, right? <laughs> uh, that said, um, I uh, there are two revenue streams for a cable channel, right? Like USA Network gets revenue from ads, obviously. Right. Everybody knows that. And they get a, a fee per subscriber. So everybody who has Comcast and gets USA pays something to Comcast and Comcast pays some of that to the network. Right. So they're really double dipping. That's right. They're they're double dipping. Yeah. We're single dipping. But because, as you know, the, the TCM is so valuable to the people who value it, right? And frequently it's – I mean I hear it almost every day. I mean I went to an event at the Television Academy last night, hosted an event uh, about Wormwood with Errol Morris this week. And I um, – uh, you know, and 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 that must have been twelve people who said I I only I only continue to get cable because of Turner Classic Movies. So we charge a better and higher fee than USA does, but we're talking pennies. Like we get, I'm making it up. I have no idea. Forty six cents per subscriber, but you add up enough subscribers. Yeah, you have forty six million subscribers, right. and you, all you, of a sudden every month money you, there. you yeah. got some money. And we don't, you know, we do so much great original. Uh, programming, the little interstitials you see, everything on the channel looks great. But I think we have 62 employees. Mm-hmm. Like this is not a, you know, TNT, TBS, uh, True TV, the other uh, big channels at uh, at Turner have far more employees and far more overhead. So we are a sort of lean, mean operation that for a long time sort of stayed outside the, I mean, we were a Turner property, but we didn't mix with CNN or, or, or TNT or TBS. Now, since then, we're sort of much more included in the group. But we're still sort of, a, you know, fortunately, we're like a little darling. Everyone's proud that TCM is is is, is part of the networks. Who picks the movies? A guy named uh, Charlie Tavish leads my closest friend of the network, big sports fan, big baseball fan, big cheers fan. Um, he, uh, he heads the programming department. He's got of those 60-some-odd employees, you know, four of them work for him. And they, you know, we have movies that are permanently in our library, though we still have to license those from our own library. Again, don't understand this business. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, we can get other movies, and we do, but we pay for them. Right. No, I remember when I was hosting that Neil Simon Festival and I wanted Heartbreak Kid. Right. And they had never played that movie yeah, on Turner Classics. We went out and got it, though. Yeah, they, yeah. they did. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love Heartbreak Kid. Um, but that's exactly right. So somebody else, so whatever studio that is, probably had that. And so we had to say, hey, we're doing this festival. And then they say, great. And I, here's where I really don't know. I don't know whether they say, great. Twenty five thousand dollars, seventy, eight, four hundred dollars. Like, or yeah, we need a couple things you have. We'll give it to you for free. You owe us two movies in the next three years. Like, I, I don't. I'd be Charlie would be an inch. You know, he'll tell you all those answers, but uh, um, I, I don't know exactly what happens there. Do you have any idea? Well, I, I know you know not specific, but kind of ballpark. How many people are watching a movie? Let's say prime time. How many people are watching Turner Classic? We movies? do. I don't, and I, I've been told, but I've already forgotten because we don't subscribe to the Nielsen ratings because we don't. You need commercials to do that. But we have 
there are other ways of finding out. And and here, what I do know is that one reason they added me on the weekends was because they had big numbers on the weekends. They had uh, not, I don't mean like they needed me to save the weekends. I just mean they thought, hey, we should probably curate the movies on the weekends. People are home and it turns out they're watching movies. It's If it's Saturday afternoon at two, it's not a throwaway time for a classic movie. This is actually a sit around the TV time for a classic movie. So our numbers are better as the week goes on. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I think Saturday is the highest. Sunday and Friday are comparable, and Thursday is pretty big too. And then not as many people on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and it builds up during the week. And it's much, as you might imagine, it's more, much more significant, which is why we curate the movies only during prime time. The audience is smaller, you know, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Sure. Now, there must be some movie packages that do better. It's like when you have James Bond festivals or Oscar festivals or Natalie Wood film festivals. You probably have like a, a string of those that you cart out during specific yeah, times. Yeah, you know, and I, I wish I'd known because I could have gotten that answer because there's about, you know, there's 10 movies or so that always do great. Best Years of Our Lives always does great. Really? Yeah. Um, I hate that movie. <laughs> why, don't you, why, don't you, why don't you like Best Years of Our Lives? I, I just think it's so heavy-handed. Uh, yeah. It is, I, but I, I like it because it, it – um, uh, because it dealt with sort of PTSD seriously, and 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 we, and at least that was something. It wasn't just hey, you're a soldier coming back, and it's heroic, sort of. And and Weiler himself, uh, William Weiler, who directed it, you know, he'd lost his hearing, I think, in a B twenty five, you know, shooting those documentaries uh, that he made during the war. So all those directors who who went away to war and came back scarred, sort of made sort of movies that reflected their scarring. So. And I can't. I think Frederick March is the he, Frederick March and, and Spencer Tracy always strike me as that they were the sort of standard bearers for for acting excellence uh, of that era. No, I assume you have not seen all of the movies that you introduced. It, it's it's worse than that. I've I've seen thousands of them. I don't. They you know I don't know whether this is true for you. Like when you prepare for an interview or. I imagine it's like a baseball game, right? So, you know, you go and you, 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 when, you, when you do a game and it's fresh in your mind and then, well, then in the next 78 days you do 78 games. Right. And being able to recall that May 15th game. That, so frequently – so I can't really speak to me – at least confidently enough for me. I can't speak with really great authority on movies that I – unless I've seen them – with some obvious exceptions, unless I've seen them pretty recently. So – even though – so the answer is no. There are some I haven't seen. There's still some some definite holes in foreign films. Um, but I – there are plenty of movies I introduced that I've seen, but I, I, I would – Years I, ago. I yeah. would need to – I would need to sit and spend seven or eight minutes reading about it. And then I'd be like, oh, OK. Right, 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 right. Now I, now I remember. But still, of course, people come up to me at our film festival and, you know, when movies matter to someone, you know, they – there are certain movies that movie fans can really talk about. So right. people are always asking me very specific questions. And I always want to say, I probably saw that in 2012. <laughs> I haven't seen it since. But I have seen 2,800 other movies <laughs> since then. People will ask me questions about specific episodes of MASH I wrote. Yeah. And I don't remember. Right. And, I, and I wrote it. And you wrote it. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. How candid are you allowed to be? I'm allowed to be very candid. I mean, with the with the caveat that... Our research shows it and obviousness tells us that, you know, TCM is a respite uh, for people. This is a pretty awful, ugly time in America. 
and there's plenty of places to get politics and I grew up around politics. I'm a very political person. They let me be as candid as I want when I'm not on the air, but I don't want to say stuff on the air that doesn't make people feel included and that doesn't make people feel like, hey, you know what? Um, uh, I, I think this person is a, uh, a, a, a socialist and a communist and, and, and betrays America. Uh, but boy, some great close-ups. But, 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 yeah. or, or, but, but you know what? We, we both love the best years of our lives or, you know, uh, we both love James Bond movies. So, uh, and, you know, look, little moments that, uh, that cause us to remember that, you know, this is a cliche, but we, the things that we have in, in, apart, the things that divide us, they're big things. They shouldn't be – they're huge things. But, of course, we do have far much more in common. And the things that are in common are big too. We all love our kids. We all want what's best for our kids. We all want our kids to do well. We all want them to be safe at school. We may disagree about the best way to go about that. But uh, So uh, I can be candid. And, I, and when it's funny and when the target is sort of an obvious fool – uh, then I have a much easier time, and I've been given, thankfully, f- totally free reign uh, to savage uh, the House on American Activities Committee whenever we talk about the blacklist. So they don't, they don't, they don't. I don't have to be careful to people who want to defend the blacklisting of artists because they'd been members of the Communist Party for four weeks in 1936. When I might add, capitalism had completely failed them. <laughs> <laughs> When you are introducing a movie that's uh, on your top ten list of movies you hate, <laughs> yeah, I usually get around that. Too. I just uh-huh. get I get around that. I don't. But I mean, I, I, at the after well, after the movie, and we a word we made up the outro. Um, you know, then I'm confra- Then I'm more free to say, you know, you know, a lot of people didn't think this worked, and and I'm one of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's kind of when when I was hosting that Neil Simon Film Festival for TCM. And they sent me all of the movies, and I watched them. And there were some of them. I said, you know, looking back, they're not very good, right? A, they don't, they don't. And of course, they, you know, they. Uh, and I mean, we should. It is wonderful to hold in high esteem those movies that that hold up, right? That work for generations and gen- and those shows that work for generations and generations. I mean, you know, look, I believe me, I would say this to any podcast host. I think Cheers the best sitcom in history of television. I think it changed how we think about sitcoms. I don't think there'd be a Seinfeld without Cheers. God, I but, wish we had a party uh, gift for you. Um, Thank you. Um, but, like, its responsibility wasn't to hold up. Its responsibility was to be great, as good as it could be then, right? It's a nice bonus that right. it still yeah. works. No, in fact, we'd be paralyzed if we would be writing shows thinking, right. oh, my God, in 30 years... What are they going to be thinking of this? I, I I watched Friends when it was out. I mean, I was a part of that Thursday Night Live. I liked Friends. I I watch it now, and I think, boy, it's flat, and the timing is off, and it just doesn't. I don't believe these characters ever existed, and I never felt any of that then. But that's not. I don't. I don't think you take like they crushed it, right? They they crushed it then, but it doesn't. It doesn't hold up like Cheers. It doesn't hold up like Mash. Now, are you guys getting complaints now? That we're in this PC era and this Me Too era that, uh, you know, James Bond is too chauvinistic. And in the, um, you know, Humphrey Bogart movies, he slaps women around. Uh, you shouldn't be playing those anymore. I think we're more likely to get it the other way. Um, first of all, we, TCM has this very unique relationship with its viewers. I mean, you you worked, you know, you had a show 
you, know, you had a successful show in, in MASH on, on CBS and then you have this show on NBC, uh, Cheers. But there were no viewers who were dedicated and loyal and faithful to CBS or NBC. Nobody, right. nobody was like, no, oh, I'd exactly. lie down on the train yeah. tracks for NBC. Yeah, no, better show on ABC, click. Right, of course, yeah. right. right. But, and and I don't think as great as, you know, I mean, HBO produces one great show after another, Showtime, you know, just on Netflix. They did the event for uh, this week uh, with Errol Morris. The, but nobody is like, oh, man, whatever Netflix puts on, I'll watch no matter what. No, you watch. You're like, that's terrible. I don't, not for me. Or not maybe not terrible, but not for me. TCM, uh, our viewers, one, love us more than they love anything else on television. Secondly, they feel a duty to watch us because we are the self-appointed guardians of classic Hollywood. They think, okay, you're taking this job. That's a serious job. Don't F it up, right? And so whenever we do anything different, whenever we, during 31 days of Oscar, which uh, ran, uh, you know, from February 1st until March 3rd, um, during the best actor category, we spent, we divided it up by category this year, uh, nominees during the day and, and then winners in primetime, we included There Will Be Blood uh, for the first time, 2007, Paul Thomas Anderson, Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, all of us at TCM were like oh, thrilled that we got a chance to air There Will Be Blood. Sure. And, you know, and there's only one actor who's won Best Actor three times. I think it's important that we salute Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> He's pretty good at what he does. So, But there was a tremendous re- – there was some reaction of, oh, you guys have – you know, now you're going to show 2007 movies. And we would argue always – first of all, we didn't just show it. We showed it in the context of two days of Best Actor nominees and winners. Right. So you can see what won in 2007 and then you can go back and compare it to Spencer Tracy uh, uh, winning, you know, in 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 1938. Right. Um, so everything is context for us. Um, but uh, so we but we got some complaints also when we aired we aired Best Documentary winners and that included airing. Uh, why am I blanking? What's Gore's movie called? Inconvenient Truth. So we aired it in Inconvenient Truth, and we obviously got people who said, you know, we're communist sellouts, and we're you know, um, but that's okay. We again context. It's not just going to show up randomly on a Thursday night. It's going to be a night of best documentaries. And we're honored to show that in a night of, of best documentaries. Plus, you know, how often can you show the same movies over and over again? It, it kind of spruces things up a little bit. Let's talk R- real little- quick. But that said, we're never going to stop doing what we do mostly. I mean, what we do, our wheelhouse is classic movies from the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. That that mission statement's never going to change. That's right. We just got to get millennials to understand that black and white movies are cool. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Don't know if it'll ever happen. Let's talk about your process because we're recording this in Los Angeles where you live, and yet you record all of your TCM intros in Atlanta. How often do you go to Atlanta? I go to Atlanta for uh, almost without fail every month for a week. Okay. Sometimes four days of shooting, sometimes five days of shooting, but you go for a, a full week to Atlanta. Okay. And I've been doing that for uh, the time, you know, Robert was on before Robert died. Obviously, he was the main host, and so I, I was on less. And I would go like every other month or, or every every month for two days. But but now it's pr- basically the schedule he had, which is a week, a month. How many do you do a day? A lot. Um, if there are more than 60, I get bummed out. 
Like I'd like to see sixty in one day. Wow! Yeah, um, yeah. Intros and outros, and the the intros are what like about two minutes, and the outros are like one. Yeah, basically that's right. You know, yeah. a minute forty five to two fifteen for the intro, something like that. You know, Robert when he started, um, you know, in the first intro he had was uh, first movie to air was Gone with the Wind, and we've aired that intro, and it's like four minutes, right? Uh huh. Um, and so you learned, like you know, and and one of the things we always get is people say we we want more of that but you don't <laughs> um like like after about two minutes people are like okay okay yeah i got the, it start yeah the, start the movie uh-huh. yeah, play play the movie go ahead and play the movie uh yeah you got to find the thing that works and and somewhere in that around more or less two minutes that's 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 what works okay so you started off in news so you're used to working with a teleprompter when i did my stint at tcm i'd never worked with a teleprompter before oh, is that right wow. yeah and, you know, I kind of picked it up and, you know, it was, you know, the teleprompter is right on the front of the camera. And I figure, okay, I can read that. That's no problem. And then they said, well, what we're going to do is uh, start with a wide shot and push in on you. So, you know, the camera was like on this crane. And when it pulls way back up, all of a sudden the teleprompter is a postage stamp. <laughs> right, totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need you need good vision. Um, and you're, yeah, you're glad. Well, I wear glad. I wear, you know, I have like 30 pair of glasses. I love glasses. Um, and uh, the uh, 30 pairs? Pair. 30 pairs. Yeah, thirty pairs. Pairs, I guess. Yeah, yeah, thirty pairs. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, but I, uh, yeah, the, the the being able to read a prompter well, like you're telling a story, um, is a skill. Yep. It's a it's a, yep. it's a silly skill, but it's a skill, and uh, you know, it's not like uh, uh, so. And it's nice because we've had some professional acts, some great actors come in, and they're 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 not great at it. Mm-hmm. Like they're you know they're I mean their their skill and their art is way more impressive but they can't do this little thing and that that warms my heart yeah i got better as the day went on by by the way that was always true when i was doing news too you know when i used to anchor the weekends in charleston south carolina you know so you don't you finish sunday night at 11 you don't come back till six o'clock saturday to to anchor you're reporting during the week but i and and you know and you get in a groove and then by six i'd be like i was bad you get a little better for the 11 o'clock saturday then you're pretty good at six o'clock Sunday, and then you're solid <laughs> eleven o'clock Sunday, and then you're done. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, but I, I like uh, I like having that that skill, and I learned all sorts of tricks. You know, breaking eye contact and uh, messing up, not not stumbling, but changing words on purpose or skipping words when you can. So it sounds natural. Just to it keeps. I think it tells my brain, hey, I'm not reading. I'm telling a story. Uh-huh. You do little, and sometimes you screw yourself up. I'll skip a word. It turns out a word you, you needed. Now the sentence makes no sense, and then you just. Break How many and takes start usually do you uh, do? Can you uh, like nail them on the first take? I probably average. I'd be curious whether with the I would say I average probably one point eight takes. It's pretty so good. A lot of ones, mostly twos, some threes, and then there'll be you know. I mean, even as recently as the last thing, I'll be like nine. I just can't. You know, like uh-huh. one I can't. I can't get, I keep messing up in the same place. And then you feel your heart going and you think, you know, <laughs> the great thing is, is when I ask to do one again, when they think it's been fine, if I ever look at them both afterwards, I'm like, they're identical. <laughs> I don't know what I, I don't know what I thought I did, but. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I'm used to radio and if I'm doing radio production and I screw up, 
and it's just me or maybe me and an engineer. But when I'm standing on that set and I screw up, I'm aware of the fact that there's like nine guys going, okay, Four. we're not going to get to lunch uh, till 3 o'clock because of this idiot. All I think about is these people are hungry yeah, and these people <laughs> want to go home. They, like, I, I walk to my hotel in midtown Atlanta. They're driving. Atlanta traffic's worse than L.A. They're, they're you know, so, you know, when I go past 430, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but sometimes there's no, you know, but they're all, they, no one's ever said anything. And now I know I've seen other people. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a top tier teleprompter reader. It's an odd skill, but I'm, <laughs> that is, well, I'm in it's, the, it's something what, you need. That's one thing I'm good yeah, at. It's like radio. You know, I can talk up to vocals, right? I'm great talking up to vocals other than doing it in the car. What a stupid useless skill that it, is it can be a it's a yeah it doesn't it doesn't translate uh, often but you know it's different i just did i've done a couple of events i hosted the uh, asc the american society of cinematographers their award show which was a great honor cinematographers obviously sort of the you know i mean the you know every movie you love any pictures of it um any pictures of of you know the event? You uh, I think it's on. I think it's streamed. Okay, I think it's online. Yeah. So, I, so one of those guys brought a camera. Somebody. Oh, one had, of them. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. they shot mm-hmm. it. What you know, yeah. they, So uh-huh. I uh, uh, first of all, you know that you well to me. To me, they, <laughs> yeah, I look pretty good. They uh, but they are um, you know this one of the toughest rooms in Hollywood. Seventy two percent of them. I'm making this up. English is their second language, right? They're right. all Dutch. Um, and uh, and you just know that most of their careers has I feel like have been spent looking at the director thinking. This idiot, right, right, <laughs> and and then they and then they wait and they and they and they create something great. So uh, I hosted that, but it was the third event I've ever done that had the the presidential prompters, the ones oh, on each okay. side, uh-huh. and those it's very different. You know, it lets you move your head from side to side. But to me, like I don't, I'm almost afraid to see it because it looked. I felt like I'm moving my head too much. I'm obviously reading this and every. Right. right, and then I'm assured by people, no, you know, because it never looks like they are. But, uh-huh. but man, it's a different thing. Like I'm used to the one prompter in the back, straight on that you just read. Right. Talk about uh, what the flick. Oh, I love what the flick. So uh, I don't get to do it enough anymore. But uh, what the flick is a show that uh, uh, I do with Alonzo uh, Duraldi, who's the uh, uh, managing editor of the Rap. Uh, Matt Atchity, who's now the managing editor of the Young Turks, but was the who did run Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, we hired him away from that. And Christy Lemire, who works for RogerEbert.com and spent, I think, 12 years as the main film critic for the Associated Press. Um, all friends of mine. And we just uh, – uh, this is a weekly show where we review movies. I, 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 They don't bristle at this, nor should they. I bristle at the word review. I think of it as – me participating with my friends in a conversation about the movie where afterward I give it a rating. <laughs> um, uh, and, and that's, I, that's nothing like a review at all. Nothing. I just – I because so many movie critics you know, st- studied film criticism and I don't think that just because I do this at TCM and then I had the, the, the at the movies job for a year. Like I, I, somehow it feels disingenuous to call myself a, a film critic. So it doesn't – and I just like, but it, whatever you want to call it, that's what it is. And we talk, and I just like it when the when it's a sort of, you know, the idea that, you know, four friends having a cheeseburger after a movie, talking, helping people figure out whether they're going to see it. But I love doing it. And we do TV too. We do the TV shows that we feel like are in the zeitgeist that, that but we only do TV shows that we like. So even if we are critical of an episode, it's like an episode 
of a show that we adore. Okay. And, um, and TCM is involved in another streaming program now. Yeah, so for yeah. The, TCM started uh, last, I think, November, so it's been about 16 months, 17 months. Uh, Filmstruck, uh, which I think is a pretty good name, and uh, it was Turner's first over-the-top OTT, it's business talk, uh, streaming service, meaning you don't have to have a cable subscription, just like Amazon, just like Netflix. And Filmstruck had like five collections of art house, uh, independent, foreign cult films, um, including the most significant one, the Criterion Collection, which you had to pay a little more to get. But just for ten ninety nine a month, you can get Filmstruck or 99 bucks a year, and that includes the Criterion Collection. And Criterion, I mean, it's just some of the greatest movies of all time, that, and this is the only place where you can stream them. One of the – I couldn't be on Filmstruck. There was a very clear – neither could Robert Osborne. There was a – when they started it, they were they – were, even though TCM produced it, it was just branded separately. It's not – TCM. Uh, after now, about 16 months, that those walls have broken down thanks to our partnership with, with uh, uh, Warner Home, Home Video. I think that's what they're called. Um, uh, but we um, – so now uh, starting the February 26th, we added uh, a number of TCM titles to the Filmstruck Library under the TCM Select banner. So now I'm hosting – 30 or so movies and we're going to add four to six movies a month. Eventually there'll be close to a thousand TCM options there. So now you can go see, uh, you know, Jean Renoir movies and John Cassavetes movies and, uh, you know, uh, uh, the umbrellas of Cherbourg and Casablanca and the thin man and seven days in May. I mean, some really the first 25 titles or so citizen Kane's coming soon, but uh, the first 25 titles are so cat people like really, really interesting choices. Great. You're a busy guy. Really appreciate you taking some time to talk with me. Oh, anytime I come in here, I'd come to talk to you anytime. Ken, it was a thrill to to meet you the first time. And it's a thrill to talk to you. Likewise. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. And that will do it for episode 63 of Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, and the voice of the Oscars, Randy Thomas. You can follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine. You can also write me at any time, and I will answer you back. Again, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com, and I'm on Instagram. I'm everywhere, Hollywood and Levine, if you want to follow me on Instagram. Back next week with another episode. Again, thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next week. Hollywood. 